Thanks to Bombfell for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Bombfell is an online personal styling service for men that helps find the right clothes for you. Get $25 off your first purchase at bombfell.com slash fool. That's bombfell.com slash fool. It's Tuesday, May 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Tuesday, gents. Feeling refreshed. Tuesday, Are you? Yeah, a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Nice long weekend. Three days, yeah, not too bad. <laughs> Three days? <laughs> you say that a little like, bit more than two. <laughs> not quite four. Not to brag, but my long weekend <laughs> had three days in it. <laughs> We've got some housing news, we've got some entertainment news, but we're going to start up north. Canadian National Railway, which is Canada's biggest railroad, averted a work stoppage at the last minute. They were up against a deadline with the conductors' union. Uh, that's a union you don't want to mess with if you're running. No, a there's railroad. about three thousand of them that yeah. they were dealing with. So uh, they struck a deal, and it, I mean, this is. I I don't know the terms of the deal, but this just seems like one of those. Okay, that, well played because if you if. If you've got one job and your one job is running a railroad, then guess what? You need conductors. They're not autonomous just yet. So right. yeah, you're going to need those three thousand. And I think the the country of Canada and even to some extent the United States needed this deal to happen because uh, the, just the sheer size of Canadian National Rail, you would have certainly seen uh, the impact flow through the entire economy of Canada. And uh, with the amount of frac sand that they've been moving and, and coal they've been moving uh, for the United States to the export terminals. We would have felt it too. So, um, good thing all around. And there's been some great news out of the company lately. They've been moving record volumes as a company. Um, like I said, frac sand uh, moving down south from the, the Wisconsin area. Um, you've seen the Permian and all, just Texas in general. The shale down there is just using more frac sand than they ever have. And uh, so, that's been a huge boon for them. And Coal, surprisingly, uh, making a comeback for them. Terminal coal, so that's being exported from the United States, not necessarily being used here. But um, great last few quarters for this company. How many other businesses do you think picked up the phone or sent an email in the last couple of weeks as they were getting closer and closer (laughs) to this deadline, saying, "Uh, "You guys are going to get a deal done, right? You're going to strike a deal with the conductors because we need our stuff shipped." Well, I think the bigger I think the bigger question beyond this, though, is the implications of technology as as we move forward you know, 5 10 years from now the implications of technology on industries like these because i mean we're already seeing to a degree where autonomous vehicles or robots whatever it may be displacing people like mm-hmm. amazon's warehouses for example that's the easy example i mean they bought that robot company was it kiva kiva yeah and um and now i mean you could google the youtube video and you'll see how they work and i mean they're moving these things all over the place and it was Funny, I was showing my mom and dad these videos over the weekend. They had never seen them, and they just thought, "Holy cow!" Yeah, they're just like the size of like the hub of a lawnmower. Yeah. And That's it's like a it's like a glorified Roomba. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, you don't need to negotiate. You don't need to negotiate with them. You just tell them what to do, and they do it. And whether it's warehouses or one day it's going to be cars, one day it's going to be trucks, it's going to be trains, whatever it is. Uh, I mean, this is going to be a monumental shift, I think, here over the rest of our lifetime. Seeing how this plays out, and really seeing how it changes the focus of our economy, I think we're more and more becoming a very, an extremely service-based economy, where most of the jobs out there are just in the service industry, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily where everybody wants to be. 
because really the differentiator there is being able to provide exceptional service on a day-to-day basis. And that's really hard to do, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, and one, we mentioned companies making calls. One person in particular might have been making a few calls, and that's Bill Gates. He's the largest shareholder of CN Rail, following in the wow. footsteps of his buddy Warren Buffett getting into the into the rail business. And uh, just earlier this month, the government of Canada allowed up to 25% individual ownership. At first, it was capped at 15% of the national railways there, um, CP Rail included. So now, if he wants to tick up from, I think, the 13.5% he's at now, maybe he drives it up a little higher. Well, and this is a stock that's done well, particularly you look over Very the last well, couple yeah. of years. There's, I mean, CNI is doing a, a nice job of rewarding shareholders. Longtime stock advisor wreck. It was one of the first stock advisor Canada wrecks we ever made. Uh, yeah, doing doing very well. And CP Rail is up for the same deal at the end of 2017 with the the same union. So we'll see if they wait till the the 11th hour uh, in December. Here's a thought. You, know, you talk about the rise of the machines all the time, and I mean, I think there's some legitimacy to that, Chris. I I hold your same fears to a certain degree. Um, what's to say that the the makers and, and programmers of these robots that will one day take over our entire economy, the programmers just go in there and program like, uh, all right, every two years you're just going to stop working, okay? So instead of like going in and they're saying, nope, we want new, we want to negotiate new terms, we're going to go on strike or whatever that may be. What's to say the programmer can't just go in there and make that sort of happen on their own? It's going to happen regardless. It's going to be happening from one part of the transaction or another. So I don't know. I mean, just the computer scientists go on exactly. I mean, like it's it's a strike by proxy, right? (laughs) I mean, it 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 seems like it could actually be plausible. (laughs) Well, and that's you know that's part of the investing equation that I think a lot of people are taking for granted. There's this assumption. Like, well, once these railroads are autonomous and you just have machines driving them, then they don't have to pay these 3,000 conductors, and then automatically their costs go down, their gross margins go up. First of all, if I'm one of these other companies that's that's working with CNI, and they get to that point somewhere in the future, I think I'm picking up the phone and saying, so <laughs> recouping some costs. I see your yeah. costs are going down. What about my bill? Your Is public filings go? show that. Yeah. Uh, you're doing uh, all right. Memorial Day weekend is the official start of the summer movie season, and the blockbusters that opened last Friday included Baywatch and the fifth, yes, the fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movie, and swing oh, and a miss. Oh, what a miss! Uh, the the lowest Memorial Day weekend box office this century. Let that sink in for just a moment. It's the lowest total since 1999. The total for all of the films, not just those two, but you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. Every every film was 172 million, and this was. I wasn't expecting it to be this. Not that I expected Baywatch to or or Pirates of the <laughs> but Caribbean. But The Rock. Every movie he thinks loves The Rock. Who doesn't love The Rock? Baywatch. Yeah, Baywatch is going to be that guilty pleasure where I think people will be like, yeah, well, there's nothing better to do. So I just wanted to go see it. And I mean, I, but I think that's one of the bigger problems with movies these days. There's been such a renaissance, sort of in the TV era. Um, that I, I mean, movie. I just don't. God, I don't find them compelling. I don't. I just, there's nothing out there that I feel like. Oh, you know, I gotta go see that. Next, aside from like the, the the Disney film of the year, where you know I'll typically be taking the family to go see that on a rainy day or something. I mean, just going to the movies today. It just it's kind of like what e-commerce has done to physical retail. It's like if I don't have to go, 
I kind of don't necessarily want to go if I can find a good movie that I want to watch in the comfort of my own home. Mm-hmm. Well, and Nell Minow was our guest on Motley Fool Money last week. She sort of hinted at this when she was talking about uh, this summer's slate of movies and talking about The Mummy with Tom Cruise. And normally, Tom Cruise is as surefire a hit as you can have in Hollywood, particularly when it comes to action movies in the summertime. But you know that, uh, and just based on the the trailers and that sort of thing, I, I the thing that I find interesting uh, about the business angle of this story is the reaction from the studios, which appears to be, let's lash out at Rotten Tomatoes, and let's <laughs> you know, yeah. and let's lash out at the critics, and that sort of thing, where it's just like, you know what, you pay I, off the rating agencies. Well, yeah, exactly. But in the same way that there are some retailers that blame the weather when they don't really have great cause to, I just looked at this and I thought, you know what? P- people are going to the movies. People will absolutely shell out money to go to blockbuster movies or you know, movies that don't fit. In, I mean, you look at Hidden Figures and and what that did, or look at a movie like Get Out, Jordan Peele's movie, which mm-hmm. was just such a huge hit relative to the cost of making that film. Um, but people aren't stupid, and and they can see that a movie's getting bad reviews. They can see, to your point, Jason. Oh, you know what? I'm not going to shell out money to go see Baywatch in the theater. I'll watch it when it comes around on Netflix or Amazon <laughs> or Prime. Or the fifth Pirates of the Caribbean. Or the fifth, you know. But if you actually make good movies with great stories and compelling characters. People will actually go see them. Well, yeah, and I mean, part of this, like, it seems like I always sort of look to this. If I don't have to go, then why would I go? And I mean, I can't help but ask myself a question: Am I just getting lazy? I mean, there's probably <laughs> something to that. I mean, but I do also think that, yeah, I mean, I think that Hollywood in general, I think they're even lazier. I think they're making just crappy movies, and I mean, I think that just is some proof. of them are. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think there are more there are more poor movies out there than good movies. Um, I mean, I, I think, and I mean, like, I would like Hidden Figures is a good example. I mean, we rented that one night on Amazon at home because we could, and I mean, I loved that movie. I loved it. I loved everything about it, and it was a great story. Um, it was inspiring. It just had everything there, and it is just a, you know, it's just a, it's not an intellectual film. It's not some blockbuster summer hit. It just tells a good story yeah. in a simple way. And I think we've we're not seeing nearly enough of that these days. I mean, I think all of the the eye candy that comes with a lot of these stupid movies, it's just that it's eye candy. And after a while, it's like it all just kind of bleeds together. I don't know what any of the stories. Are. I mean, the Pirates of the Caribbean. Seriously, five of those pieces of crap. Seriously. But you know what? If I can understand the business case for those movies better than I can for some of the others. I mean, in, I can in, in because they have a proven, tra- they have a track record right. of some success, and there's they could tell a lot of stories from it. I mean, I, I make fun of that one. I, but I, yeah, so I mean, lo- lost. Somewhat lost below the headline of what a disappointing Memorial Day weekend this was for the box office in general is the fact that that franchise for Disney just crossed the four billion dollar mark. Yeah, I know. I mean, I make fun <laughs> yeah. of it, and I don't mean to extrapolate my taste on the general population. Um, clearly, it's been a successful move for them to make those movies, but you know, they, then you start talking about the dollars and cents of it versus like just from the consumer's perspective going to see a movie. Um, and I mean, at some point, those two sort of converge because I mean, you got to go out there and, and see the movie for it to make sense. 
Uh, you know, I mean, it just seems like a lot of those eye candy movies cost a lot to make. You see some of the bit, some of the budgets on those movies, and invariably, it seems like the movies that I like the most tend to have the lowest budgets. Well, I think Baywatch was sixty million dollars. It's it's on the beach. What, yeah. What the heck are you spending all, all this money on? And, and it's the marketing. Like that's yeah. the thing. If you're if you're an investor and you're looking at whether it's Disney or Lionsgate or any of these films. Um, a lot of times, when a budget number for a film gets reported, mm-hmm. it is simply the production budget. It is not the marketing budget. And for a lot of these movies, the marketing dollars outweigh the production budget. Oh, sure. And let's not forget. I mean, if we didn't get, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean and Captain Jack Sparrow, then we would not have gotten the Lonely Islands. Uh, clever take on that with Michael Bolton, which <laughs> still stands up as one of the greatest music videos of all time. It totally does. Uh, for our next story, I got to say thanks to Bombfell for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Bombfell is an online personal styling service for men that helps find the right clothes for you. And here's how it works you go to bombfell.com slash fool, you fill out a simple questionnaire, and then you are matched with a dedicated personal stylist who picks out clothing for you. Your stylist is going to email you a few selections, and then you'll have 48 hours to make any changes or even just cancel them altogether. So you're in total control, which I love. Now, Chris, I can't help but think this goes back to my lazy thing here. Because, yes. hey, not only am this I lazy, thing is for you. but I am sartorially challenged, okay? <laughs> I guess my question is here because clearly, not only are you getting the clothes, but it seems like you're getting a valuable service in there because I, I can't put pants and shirts together. Right. So, I mean, you paid more for the stuff. No, so that's the thing. You pay just for the clothes, and so when the clothes get sent to you, if you decide, oh, I like two of these, I'm not crazy about this other thing, you send it back. They they include the postage, so it's really easy to send it back. So you just pay for the clothes that you keep. Um, it's actually the only styling service that doesn't charge a styling fee or a subscription fee. And Sounds it's very customer centric. Very customer centric. I, I went through. Here's how customer centric it is. Um, I went through this whole process and I was able to nail it. So, like, that's how easy this thing is. It, that's how easy the questions are that you fill out online. And you've got me by a factor of like 10. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, yeah. I, and I got to say, it was great to, you know, get the clothes and feel like, oh, I, I have a sense of what I'm getting here and then open it up and then, you know, try stuff on. It was you great. Have to go check that out. Uh, and for our dozens of listeners, a special offer: you get twenty-five dollars off your first per- first purchase. So just go to bombfell.com/fool, bombfell.com/fool. Check it out; you're gonna love it. Uh, Zillow is offering one million dollars, as Doctor Evil would say, to anyone who can improve the Zestimate algorithm. This announcement was made. Just one week after Zillow was hit with a class action lawsuit over the Zestimate proprietary home price tool, what do we think about this? <laughs> I think I think the one million. I think the move to to acknowledge the Zestimate is not perfect, and to say we're going to give you a chance, you or a team of you people out there. We want to improve this. We want your help. We're going to reward you for helping us. I think that's a good move. The class action lawsuit, uh, I don't know. The timing does seem curious. Taylor, you have any thoughts on that? If I knew anything about coding algorithms, I'd give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. But uh, See, I think the answer is even simpler than that. Okay. I mean, just take off the Z. Just make it the estimate? Just make it the estimate. Doesn't this seem like... <laughs> does it, I mean, we've made fun of this estimate. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've made fun of just the word, and and certainly yeah, early on, it's do. it's improved over time. And 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 Zillow has come out and said, "Look, 
it's gotten better over time. It's within you know five percent of of whatever the actual sale price is of a home. So you know it's getting closer. And I get all that. This strikes me as something they came up with very early on in their tenure as a company, and they just someone said, you know what? Instead of offering a zestimate, instead of offering an estimate, we'll call it the zestimate, and that'll help differentiate our you know our company and our brand. And somewhere along the line, they couldn't let go of it. Yeah, I think the biggest question in regard to the Zestimate today is, what is the point? <laughs> um, I, so I would never fault a company for wanting to get better. And, and I mean, that's what I think this is, honestly. I do think that they are doing this in order to improve, to get better. And, and Zillow is a company that we still own in million dollar portfolio, and we've kept it under the microscope because we just sort of want to continue questioning its market opportunity and sort of where the role that it plays in the housing market. So I think that from that perspective, yeah, that timing is interesting, but regardless, they're trying to improve and I think that's great. I think in regard to the Zestimate, I think it's more trouble than it's worth financially and otherwise. Um, I think with the point you made, I think is spot on. I think in the very early days it was a great brand builder. Um, because it was kind of like, well, it was difficult to take seriously, but by the same token, it was new and it was different. It sort of shed a new light on the housing market and sort of how we could sort of deliberate prices and how things, you know, value of things and whatnot that are out there. But the problem is now that the the zestimate holds no bearing whatsoever in the actual transaction. And I mean, I you know, I, I having gone through just selling two houses and buying one. I can tell you the zestimate never came into play in, in at any point in anything we did. I mean, if you have an appraisal come, you know, appraiser comes to your house and, and they give you an appraisal, and then you look at them and you say, "Well, yeah," but the zestimate said, "I mean, they're going to laugh you out of your own house. They're just going to tell you that has nothing to do with anything." And I understand that as the point they make, we always say that the zestimate is a starting point to determine the home's value. It's not an official appraisal. That's the point. It's not an official appraisal, and that. Is what matters. The two things that matter the most are what the house is listed for and what the appraisal is going to say. The zestimate doesn't mean anything, and I think in a lot of cases, and probably most cases, because a lot of people don't know as much about the, the about buying a home, the process involved, because it's not like you're just going to the store. I mean, there's a lot involved with that, obviously, and figures and parties involved. Um, it, it, it's not something where. It offers really any value. It can create some misguided expectations. I think a lot of people don't really know. They may look at the zestimate and think, "Well, that house is listed for five hundred thousand dollars, but the zestimate says five hundred sixty thousand. <laughs> Let's go buy that thing right now and make sixty thousand dollars." And obviously, we know it doesn't work that way. Um, I think that the class action lawsuit. I don't. I don't. I think it probably does. There is some some merit there to it. I think. Uh, Personally, I think Zillow probably could do just as well to eliminate the Zestimate altogether. I don't think it's something that would hurt their business. I think it's probably something in the long run that would help it if, instead of the Zestimate, maybe they just focused on the actual facts, look at tax records, what homes in the area are selling for, leave the appraisals to the appraisers. Um, and Unless they have a road to actually become a part of the transaction, uh, then, then I just I feel like the, the zestimate's just more trouble than it's worth. 
I think they need to bump up the timeline on this contest because um, <laughs> I feel like they, I, I feel like I just won the contest. The, Chris. I mean, you know, I'll well, well here's I'll the thing. send wiring damned. instructions <laughs> after we finish. So uh, there are actually two rounds to the contest. So you you have until October 16th of this year to compete in the qualifying round, and then the top 100 entries are going to be invited to participate in the final round. Which is slated to begin February first, twenty eighteen, and will end January fifteenth, twenty nineteen. So you're the... saying it's going to be a while. I'm saying, oh my god, they might want to bump up their time <laughs> a little bit. A year and a half to figure this out. Yeah, a little more urgency, I think, would would benefit our friends at Zillow. A couple of housekeeping notes before we wrap up. Fool Fest is this week. This is our biggest investing event of the year. Uh, this Thursday and Friday here in Alexandria. So uh, if if you're coming, uh, say hello because we'll we'll all be over there and uh, we we love we love meeting our members, uh, but we especially love uh, if they're also one of the dozens. That's yeah, always absolutely. great. Um, uh, I think I mentioned this last week. Uh, if you have a chance, check out Industry Focus. The episode that they published on Monday it was a behind the scenes episode. Very fun stuff. So so check that out. Last but not least, Jason Moser. You were down for the annual member guest. I was. How'd it go? The Doublegate member guest in Albany, Georgia. It went very well. Um, I was telling you, this is the seventh year in a row that I go down there and I play with my dad in this in this tournament. So it's it's less about the tournament, more about just the hanging out with dad. Off of dad. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so it was the seventh straight year, and the tournament is three days. And all seven years, three days, we've never had one drop of rain fall on us during the tournament. And it is just beautiful weather, sunny all day. Lovely golf course, and just yeah, it's it's a wonderful step away uh, for me, and I just enjoy being able to, to spend the time with uh, my my dad on the golf course and mom at home, and um, you know, hey, whenever I get a chance to play golf, it's a good thing. He's an investor. Any any uh, any advice from dad? Any advice from dad? Well, actually, he's the one always he's asking advice you, from yeah. me. Now. Yeah, he's needling me for the next great stock idea. <laughs> Um, you know, I so I think it, it's interesting because you play with a lot of go- a lot of people in the, in these tournaments and. You know, you talk about what you do and where you work and whatnot, and part of the discussion would be around stocks. But it seemed like a lot of discussions we had were based around housing and sort of how housing is is doing in in many areas. And I think whether you're up here in Northern Virginia where we have a very healthy housing market, um, it sounds like there's a pretty good pretty good market down there in Georgia as well. And it just struck me in talking a lot about housing and, and thinking about how with the Turnover in Washington D.C. and these concerns of potentially overturning Dodd Frank legislation, or at least relaxing lending regulations for the mortgage market. Um, You know, we were looking at home price growth here in March, which was was up. I think it was something like five point eight percent, maybe it was five point three percent, but it was it, it was it was a you know nice healthy growth rate, but it was less than half of of that growth rate during the financial during during the housing bubble. And it just it struck me in thinking, you know, we're probably gonna hear some politicians try to frame this as like a weak housing market. And saying, like, oh, it's only it's not even half of what it used to be. But you gotta think about the the other way to look at that is like it shouldn't have been that way in the first place during the housing bubble, right? right. So to me, like where we are right now with housing is a is just direct proof that what we're doing is working and we need to keep on doing it. <laughs> Maybe we sit every member of Congress down and have them watch the big short and just be like, folks, just well, I mean, I, before again, you jump in on you know with with your two cents on on the housing market, just watch this yeah, movie. And Learn buying yourself. a house is, yeah. is beyond just property. I mean, there there's 
their legalities involved. There's just a lot that goes on with it, and it, it's also extremely local. I think it's very difficult to look at the U.S. and say the U.S. housing market because it's it's always going to be local, and some places are always going to be better than others. But I think that I think that's even an even greater argument for making sure that we have a certain set of rules and standards that we can adhere to on a national basis that at least helps make some sense of it and keep good records so that in in the days um, ahead, you know, I mean, when it comes to to mortgage. After you sign those closing papers and you own the house, man, that that thing goes off to investors. Those guys need to know that it's a good investment. Mm-hmm. That's why I like the. Uh, anytime Robert Schiller is on CNBC and you know they're they're coming out with the you know the housing index that bears his name and it's the top twenty markets and he's always very quick to point out like well yes here's. Here's the average across these 20 markets, but then if you look at the individual, you know, yeah. if you look at San Francisco and Seattle, you'll see they're quite different from you know other major areas of the country. A very good point. Thanks for being here, guys. Cheers. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fool. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.